Hey, everybody. We are so glad that you are here today. Um, we have a very exciting podcast guest, the persons with lived experience, inspiring stories for unprecedented times with Dixie and myself, Sona. And as far as focus on traffickers, um, the undercover work is involved with being out on the streets and allowing them to approach and, and write their standing next to me. I've had traffickers try and recruit me and, and groom me and then also over social media. So um, you never you never know who you're talking to. I have six Facebooks, three Instagrams, tag, meet me, Bumble, plenty of fish, Twitter, Snapchat, all of those platforms and undercover yep. personas. This podcast contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions and take precautions for yourself. Thank you. I'm Dixie. I'm all about joy, justice, and fair trade fashion. I'm an anti-trafficking advocate, mom of many, and passionate worshiper. And I'm Zona. I'm a writer, speaker, a person with lived experience of human trafficking and homelessness, a tiny house enthusiast, and a serial foodie. Our guest today is Heidi Chance, who has recently retired from Phoenix Police Department after 25 years of service. Prior to retiring, she was a detective in the HEAT, Human Exploitation and Trafficking Unit, for 13 years where she worked in identifying and rescuing juveniles and adults who are victims of sex trafficking. Since 2014, Heidi has been traveling across the United States teaching other law enforcement agencies for the National Justice Training Center of Fox Valley Technical College Amber Alert Program. She's also featured in the Frontline PBS documentary, Sex Trafficking in America. Heidi has recently begun consulting when creating ChanceConsultingLeo.com as part of her own outreach to continue educating the public about sex trafficking awareness and to train law enforcement about sex trafficking proactive undercover operations, as well as prosecutors about sex trafficking investigations. She authors a weekly blog at achanceforawareness.com, where she spreads awareness about sex trafficking to the community. Welcome, Heidi. We are so glad you joined us today. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Well, we are excited to hear about um, your personal experience um, being undercover and kind of starting there. Do you want to kind of walk us through how you ended up in the the heat section? Yeah, absolutely. So I worked um, uh, a major police department. Um, Phoenix is the fifth largest city in the United States. And I worked in patrol and then I moved on to school resource officer a few years later. And I spent six years doing uh, work as a school resource officer. And I remember each day we turn in the keys to our patrol car at the police station and I went to go return my patrol car keys. And the school that I was at assigned to was a middle school. So it was seventh and eighth graders. So when I went into the police station one day, I noticed one of the girls um, that basically was um, one of my students 
a few years prior, uh, was in the juvenile holding area and was in some trouble. She was giving attitude to the patrol officers and, and I recognized her. She recognized me. So I started talking to her and that's when she was, you know, kind of disclosing not fully, but a little bit about where she had been. She'd been on, on the run and met a trafficker and he branded her and put his tattoo on her. And, you know, she was upset about, you know, <clears throat> the treatment of the patrol officers with her because she was out walking the streets prostituting. Um, and so um, basically I had already been a cop for several years. I knew prostitution was a crime, but I had no idea. And this was back in like 2006. I had no idea that juveniles got involved with it so young. And so that's really what sparked my interest in trafficking in general. And I started doing temporary assignments with our unit that was called Vice at the time. And since then, it's changed actually only a few years ago to the Human Exploitation and Trafficking Unit. So I, I did some temporary assignments and then transferred fully to that unit in January of 2009. Nice. And so I was there all the way up until I retired October of 21. Well, that's definitely very exciting to see the the, the growth in the department yeah. from, you know, being a vice unit to being, you know, human exploitation and trafficking and kind of having that difference in verbiage even really offers that much more respect to. Yeah. So when I first started, we were all proactive. I'm sorry, all reactive. We were reacting to the problem in the means of arresting prostitutes and um, you know, focusing on them only. And we've definitely evolved from that to now we have a victim advocate assigned to the actual squad who goes out at 10 o'clock at night, two o'clock in the morning with the patrol officer, I'm sorry, with the detectives and does, um, you know, some, some basically offers resources and takes them aside and asks the question that we were not asking before, which is what can we do to help you get out of this situation? And so giving them a right then in the moment of their rescue opportunity to leave, get a bus ticket, a flight, resources, shelter, all of the things um, has been huge um, as far as our reaction to this problem. And then also targeting buyers, um, doing a lot of work to target traffickers specifically. That's, that's also part of the evolution of what's happened over the years. At least since, you know, the 13 years that I've been there, lots of yeah. changes. Yeah, sure. So how did you transition? I know um, when we had talked before, you had said that you had a little bit of personal experience doing some undercover work. Can you tell us how you went from kind of helping others and, and stuff from this girl that you knew who used to be in your uh, middle school? as a resource officer to um, getting into undercover work? So um, basically the undercover work involves for a female uh, officer being an undercover posing as a prostitute um, or posing as an escort online. And so I've done thousands of operations where I've walked known areas for prostitution. I was walking on the street, getting solicited by vehicles pulling up on me. Um, men who I watched take off their wedding ring right in front of me and then solicit sex for money and uh, from me. And then as far as the online arena, um, I've posted myself and other female decoy officers ads on several 
you know, platforms, Backpage back then, but now there are so many other um, platforms that host the ability for people to advertise themselves. And so mm -hmm. being in those places, targeting buyers, and then uh, ever so often a trafficker will try and recruit based off of the advertisements also, and then engaging with the traffickers. And then <clears throat> as far as focus on traffickers, um, the undercover work is involved with being out on the streets and allowing them to approach and, and right there standing next to me. I've had traffickers try and recruit me and, and groom me and then also over social media. So um, you never you never know who you're talking to. I have six Facebooks, three Instagrams, tag, meet me, Bumble, plenty of fish, Twitter, Snapchat, all of those platforms and undercover yep. personas mm -hmm. so that we can have uh, traffickers try and recruit us instead of live victims. And then I get to charge them with a felony. Nice. Right. So proactive work. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So truly on, you know, the prevention side. Even. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. So when you're looking at this and they're reaching out to you on the platforms what does it look like in like the first initial few grooming messages maybe in an online dating or even on snapchat so usually it is almost like and this is how easily this happens it's almost like flirtation conversation trying to get to know me trying to learn about me um, offering to take me out it almost seems like a relationship so it's very hard to decipher um, and that's where it's mostly scary because there's a lot of people who are on these dating apps, especially that are vulnerable, that are lonely, that are looking for a relationship. And they don't realize that this person is getting to know them, but with the intent to use that information against them. And that's, you know, really scary. Um, as far as what they would do is typically offer to pick me up or, um, you know, uh, drop me off after I've met up with them. And that's all information gathering to try and figure out where I live. And then, um, you know, compliments, those kind of things to try and um, encourage me to get to know them better, meet them again, all of those things. Um, there's particular things that traffickers try and entice victims with, um, especially if they're young females underage. Um, going to get their hair done, their nails done, taking them traveling, trying to entice them in that way so that, you know, it gets them kind of hooked in this idea that this life with this person is going to be better than at home with my parents who aren't letting me get my nails done and my hair done and all those things. And so um, unfortunately with the day and age now where everyone's profiles are open, the door is completely open to traffickers and buyers and other predators because people want to get subscribers. They want to get likes, they want to get followers. And they yeah. think unfortunately that if they have enough followers and subscribers, they'll start making money. And that's huge right now in the teen arena is trying to get um, money based off being famous on Instagram or famous on Snapchat um, so it's, it's really scary because that opens the door. Yeah. Wow. So that definitely is, 
kind of a lot to unpack when you think about it because, you know, we know the statistics say that there's just a huge number of people that get into trafficking by an intimate partner or by somebody that they're in relationship with, whether that's a family member or, you know, a spouse or something like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, everything that you're saying are these like red flags, they seem so normal. This podcast is brought to you by the generous supporters of bringfreedom.org. You can make a tax-deductible donation on the website or on Venmo at bringfreedom. These donations go to support the persons with lived experience who bravely share their stories here and also toward the creation of resources to end human trafficking in your community. What was your experience kind of, uh, quote unquote, being out there and, and, you know, did you have trauma that you had to deal with from being out on the streets, even though you knew it was, you know, as like undercover as a sting operation? Yes, um, definitely. Anytime you are engaging with um, anyone out on the streets, uh, one-on-one, Yes, we have surveillance around. We have, um, you know, backup for officer safety, but they're, you know, in a vehicle down the way or they're, you know, in the hotel room watching from the window. They're a distance away. And so I have had traffickers standing right next to me. Um, One in particular that comes to mind was one on a bike, one standing. The, The guy on the bike was talking to me and the guy standing was mad because just by my action of posing as a prostitute. They thought I was a real prostitute. Talking and engaging with the trafficker the way that I was, I was out of pocket, which is a term for not working with the trafficker that I'm supposed to be with. And they really don't, um, they really are aggravated with any individual that thinks that they can be out on their own um, without the surveillance and maintenance of a trafficker. And so the one that was standing quiet was literally balling up his fists and, you know, mad dogging me basically. And so I didn't know what he was going to do and recognizing that and walking away from them, you know, was the best thing that I could think of for officer safety purposes for myself. Um, I've also had traffickers that I've done cases on. And even though I do what I can to change up what I look like, I've had them recognize me out there because I did it for so long. I've had traffickers I've put in prison that are out now and have been in contact with me and I'm still doing the same thing, even though I, I wear wigs and all kinds of things to change up what I look like. I know that would definitely be scary because I know I struggle even a little bit with um, my name being so recognizable. Mm-hmm. And even in my dating experience, mm-hmm. I've had guys that are like, oh, well, I can de- easily find your profile or whatever because my name is very unique. <laughs> And you're like, oh, yay, trying not to be creeped out. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely also an issue with those that I put in prison um, for many years. Um, I've had one I put in prison for 20 years, did a public records request to the city of Phoenix Police Department for my personnel file. I don't know if he was trying to figure out my home address or if he's writing a book about me or whatever, but that happened. And so, yeah, definitely redacting my information, trying to pull my information off the internet constantly. 
is something that I face. It's a challenge for sure. Yeah. And that's so much more now because everything's connected to the internet yeah. with, um, you know, even names on cell phones mm -hmm. to, you know, social mm -hmm. media accounts, everything. Well, every time you apply for a new loan or you open up another rewards card at the grocery store, your information gets re-put out there. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love that. Yeah. Oh, my. So in this process, um, my understanding is several years ago, you had taken in uh, somebody kind of under your wing. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So um, I was, I think this was in 2010, I was working in an investigation involving a female juvenile who was being held up in an apartment and she got a chance to go to the nearby convenience store to get a drink of water and she ended up calling her aunt and her aunt called the police. We came, we ended up uh, rescuing her, but at the same time, we wanted to catch the trafficker that was in the apartment right, right at that time. And so we ended up writing a search warrant and based on, you know, all of the circumstances and getting him out of the apartment, doing a search warrant of the apartment, collecting evidence. That whole incident um, concluded and we, you know, we, we rescued her, but unfortunately she was involved with child welfare. And so she was um, sent to a group home. And when she went to the group home, I was working on the whole rest of the case. So she spent like a year in the group home while we were finishing up the case. But I kept thinking about her and, you know, about her background and what was going on with her. And I really wanted to help her because I had like a, a rapport with her and a, and a special um, bond. So the case actually involved three other traffickers that actually sold her to the one that we caught initially. And um, we ended up getting all three of those traffickers. We went to California to go grab one of them. And they're all still in prison right now. They are in prison because not only were they trafficking her, but they had other juveniles. There was like seven other juveniles between the three of these guys that they had trafficked. And so they were in big trouble. Um, anyway, so all of that was resolved, concluded. And I kept thinking about her and what I could do with her. And I approached my husband and I asked him, you know, what, what do you think about us being a foster parent? Um, my son at the time was 10 and I had never been a parent of a teenager or at least not yet. And, um, uh, it was just the three of us and we had an extra bedroom. And so we decided to go through the process to take the classes, to become a foster parent and ended up doing visitation with her, having her come hang out and then getting to know my husband as well, because he had never met her before. And then ultimately, um, I approached her caseworker, which uh, is still a friend to this day, um, and uh, she was hesitant on letting me have um, my foster daughter because she, you know, knew what a handful she was. Unfortunately, she had, you know, besides the trafficking problem, she had a drug problem that I wasn't fully aware of until she was living with me, but I had an idea. Um, I thought it was only marijuana, but it wasn't only marijuana. So... Basically, I ended up taking her in. Um, uh, she's very talented. We had her enrolled in um, piano lessons because she actually can play the piano by ear and she's written her own music. Um, and so I wanted to, you know, involve her in that so that we could distract her from other issues. 
And then also, um, she's very stunning. I mean, she is beautiful. And so we were trying out for Miss Teen Arizona. And so we were in that process of trying to do that. Unfortunately, her drug problem creeped up several times during the placement with me over the nine months. And ultimately, I wasn't able to um, manage that with her. And I had to um, give her back. Um, I'm still here for her, definitely. I have had visitation with her and her mother several times since. And um, she reaches out to me every now and again. But unfortunately, right now, her drug problem is kind of taking over her life. And and she's, you know, going to need to resolve that issue. Um, but that's definitely something that I think foster parents need more extra help with that I didn't have back in 2012. This is 2012 when um, I had her. And I also didn't have like specific resources that we have now as far as foster parents and sex trafficking victims. I, I knew I'm the, I was a police officer. <laughs> I knew. And I was also an undercover in the unit. I thought I could handle it. Um, but definitely more assistance. Um, the, the assistance that I did have was like generic counseling, not specific to sex trafficking. And also there was no uh, victim survivor advocate that may have helped the situation better. So that's um, what happened with that. But I, you know, look forward to when she's recovered and, and you know, we can hang out again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's actually um, when I when I first became a part of the anti-trafficking advocacy uh, movement was because I was hearing about these kids and even after even if and after they get rescued, oftentimes it, they're not in a good place. Um, they're just going into regular foster care, and I'm like. Obviously, that's not good enough. Um, you need to have specific uh, trauma-informed care. There needs to be a lot more training for the foster parents. And then if they go into a group home, it's it's going to be even less individualized care. And so that was actually what grabbed my heart was thinking about these kids. And um, so it's still kind of a passion of mine. And I'd love to, to be a part of... Um, that pro, you know, you're right. It's come a long way since then. There's a lot more resources, but you know, there's still room to grow. Obviously, always room to grow. And uh, you know, a big part of what we do is is looking toward prevention, so no child has to go through this at all. But mm-hmm. the restoration end is important. You, you're yeah. awesome for being, you know, for being, <laughs> yes, I will help or I will try. You know, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's definitely a lack of back then at least, and, and maybe we're still needing to do this now, but a lack of, you know, I knew what sex trafficking was. I knew what she went through. I knew all of the, all of everything, yeah. but um, as a stand in parent, I probably needed the extra help from an outside person with the specialized training to help me and maybe both of us together would have had a better outcome. Um, Yeah. To my knowledge though, she's never returned back to prostitution or anything like that. It's just the drug problem right now. Wow. So that's definitely a victory for sure. Um, 
And, you know, we're grateful that you did that. I, I am curious, you had mentioned an advocate to kind of walk through and help her. What is something that a typical advocate that is there working with um, one of the people that's come out of trafficking or exploitation or something like that, what is it that they offer? So confidentiality, I think, is a main thing, especially with the victim advocate position that I was talking about earlier person assigned to our unit, anything that's shared with that person doesn't go towards any criminal case or anything that's not shared with us, even though we work with that victim advocate on a daily basis. But right then, she's able to offer services. Um, in Phoenix, we have the Dream Center, and then we have um, a New Life uh, Center. We have several shelters now, which also we didn't have back then, now that are specific to sex trafficking victims, adults. Um where, you know, there is an understanding of protecting them, of keeping them, um, you know, they have to actually go through a program where they give up their phone for a period of time. And all of that is deconditioning them from the need to reach out to their trafficker and also safety for everyone. Cause if the trafficker shows up at the shelter, that's, that's a problem. Um, and so, uh, that is definitely something she can offer. And then, the victim advocate also assists with getting them their ID back. Like if they lost it 15,000 hotels ago or they never, you know, they never got their birth certificate from their parents when they ran away from home and now they're an adult and they're trying to get ID. They can help them get their birth certificate back or a copy of it, um, their social security card. They can help them start the process to get a job. Yeah. Um, those kind of things are definitely, you know, and, and reunification back into the community um, very helpful with the assistance still and the maintenance of the victim advocate. And then there's other organizations that help with other things that happen. Um, for instance, Soul Survivor is an organization that does tattoo removal mm. or does cover up of the tattoo or the brand. And so that's super important for survivors, um, you know, to emotionally erase that part of their life also that's on their body. Um, so that's super important. Absolutely. That's very cool. And I think that's so helpful because we hear these phrases and they sound really good. But then, you know, as you're thinking about it, you're like, wait a minute, what does that actually look like? Yeah. <laughs> so, right. Um, I appreciate, I, I appreciate the explanation. <laughs> um, so when you were going through and even deciding to retire, I know that you retired in 21. Um, what do the next steps look like for you? What does uh, being an advocate look like in the future? So I, that's why I started my own consulting business um, with the intent to train law enforcement to focus on traffickers and buyers. And the way that we do that is undercover operations, as I described before. And there's a lot of agencies that are smaller and they don't think that they're capable of doing it because of manpower. But there are things that we've done and I know we're capable because the department I just left only has nine detectives for the fifth largest city in the United States. So we accomplished it. You can accomplish it too. Yes, we leaned on other parts of the police department to help like patrol, um, but you know they can lean on other agencies that are near them. Um, it is doable to do it and it is trafficking is everywhere. So whether you're a small town or a big town, um, proactive operations are a, a need. And so my intent is to train law enforcement. But then on the other side of that, I have um, my general awareness class that I just um, created, and it's going to be launching January 20th. 
And that is a course that I go over the definition of the problem, the law enforcement response, kind of what we talked about here, uh, like the evolution of law enforcement and the problem itself, um, which I think I actually grew up as this problem progressed to the point that it is now um, from 2008-ish is when I first started doing temporary assignments to present. Um, but also, um, as far as the class is going deeply into victim vulnerabilities, um, the internet and how it facilitates trafficking, buyers, you know, my experience, my lived experience with sex buyers, I talk a lot about that. Um, and then traffickers, my lived experience with traffickers trying to recruit and groom me. Um, and then ultimately, the sex trafficking indicators, which um, my website, if you sign up for the indicators list, that'll be emailed to you and you can print it out and share it. And that is huge for people because I still travel around and um, speak about sex trafficking. And I'm surprised at how many people actually ask questions like, what does a victim look like? Or, you know, how do I know that this is happening? And, you know, that's because we still have a, a need for awareness. And so I created that list and that's what this course supports. And then ultimately the conclusion of it is what people can do to uh, help in the fight. Um, so that is the course in a nutshell um, that'll be launching January 20th. So that's Great. exciting. Yeah. Where can, um, where can we go to access that? So my website, a chance for awareness.com. Um, you can sign up. It'll start pre-selling January, I'm sorry, December 20th. And then the sex trafficking indicators list is a freebie on there and you can just sign up for that too. Um, and then January 20th, it opens. Hey, exciting. Perfect timing for human yeah. trafficking prevention month. Yeah. And also, um, I forgot to mention, if you put in the coupon code awareness month, all in caps, all one word, awareness month, um, that'll give you 20% off the course for your viewers. Nice. Yeah. Yay. Well, we'll go ahead and have that linked in our okay. bio below. Would you be willing to go into uh, fostering again? Uh, somebody who is coming out of trafficking or exploitation. It was one of those things that ended kind of badly with her. Um, my husband kind of wasn't on board with that again. And so that was like, you know, it, you, you're not living by yourself. You're with your husband and your son. And so that's kind of the dynamic that um, would discourage that for me. Um, sure. Only because I'm not, I'm not the only decision maker. <laughs> Yes. in my house. And he was graceful enough to allow me to have that uh, experience. And, you know, and I, I appreciate that he allowed me to have that experience. And I'm not saying that, um, you know, it's one of those things, even going through the foster parenting class, they wanted to make sure both of us were on board too. Um, so I think maybe, um, I mean, possibly in the future, um, we'll, we'll see, we'll work on him. <laughs> sure. Yeah. All right. Well, we are so grateful that you were on today. Um, you know, it's been truly uh, inspiring hearing, you know, 
the other side, because sometimes I think um, detectives and officers can get a bad rap. And, you know, we know that you're there and you're trying to enforce whatever laws are on the books in communities. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there are still areas even of our country in America that there aren't really good laws on the books um, Mm -hmm. to be able to be enforced for, you know, police officers, peace officers, or detectives to be able to make really good arrests and make things stick a long time. So it's part of prevention. We're working on getting those things increased as well. And um, they've they've massively in, improved since, you know, you first started hearing about this for, since we've been in this fight. So we're grateful for yeah. every step, mm-hmm. <laughs> every movement forward. But yeah, for yeah I would say the biggest help was um, the fact that we no longer have to prove knowledge of age, um, especially when we're targeting buyers. Because before, I've had to release a lot of buyers with a misdemeanor or a ticket when they had a juvenile in the car with them and they were going to go through with the act with the juvenile. And it's because I couldn't prove that they knew she was 15 because to them, she was dressed to attract, she had a lot of makeup on, she looked older, she never said her age or she lied about her age. And so I wouldn't be able to charge them with the felony. And now we can. And now if a buyer picks up a prostitute and they are found to be a juvenile, they're automatically charged with child sex trafficking, which is a felony. So that and then traffickers, obviously, also, that's a huge one, too. I've had traffickers I've arrested many years ago, 2014, um, and then arrested them again and went to trial and they were found guilty and they're stuck on the fact that they got off on the other one because I couldn't prove knowledge of age, but this time it doesn't matter. And then, (laughs) and they went to prison for 108 years. So that's um, huge. Yeah. It's definitely, um, the evolution is continuing and it's only getting better, especially with, um, awareness and the power of everyone getting to know uh, what what the ins and outs of the problem are, and then debunking all the myths about the problem. Yeah. True, and I'm sure that's even ever evolving as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, well, we're very grateful because I know I originally lived in a state that did not have a law against trafficking, and mm-hmm. the only thing that they could get you on was kidnapping. So it really fed into that whole idea that the only way that somebody gets trafficked is if they're kidnapped. And now we know that that's actually not as common uh, of a way that they end up in trafficking. Usually it is that intimate partner or it's a friend that knows somebody or, you know, a family member or something like that. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah, it really, it's amazing where those things start though. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we are so grateful that you have been on the Persons with Lived Experience podcast, and we'll go ahead and have those links for you in the show notes, and we're just grateful to have heard your story. Thank you so much. much. (laughs) Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoy hearing stories of persons with lived experience, please rate and review wherever you're listening to this podcast. 